ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, Hal Bryan. I'm EAA's managing editor for print and digital content and publications. Over there across the table, it is Tom Sharpentier, government relations director. And Tom, we have uh, a couple of guests with us today to talk about uh, one of the havens of the old airplane world and nice little slice of heaven on earth uh, called Rhinebeck, or excuse me, the old Rhinebeck Aerodrome. Uh, joining us are a couple of guys who are heavily involved in uh, in that world and the vintage aviation world in general. Uh, and I'm, I don't want to play favorites, so I'm just going to do it in alphabetical order, guys. It's uh, Clay Hammond and his brother, uh, Nathan Hammond, who's, uh, and that's a name that anybody who's been to Air Venture Air Shows uh, probably knows well. Uh, Clay, Nathan, you guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, Al. Now, did I start a feud by by saying Clay's name first, or are we going to be okay? <laughs> no, no, we're we're fine. We're fine. He's firstborn, so uh, so we'll give him first rights. Okay, fair enough. So, anyway, uh, before we we dive into the the sort of specifics around Rhinebeck itself, um, can you guys each just give us a little bit of your your aviation aviation background, uh, you know, uh, Nate. We know you as an air show performer, but but you're big into vintage aviation and and uh, uh, Clay. Certainly, anybody who's seen uh, Shameless Plug, my my buddy Paul Glenshaw's film uh, Barnstorming, uh, knows who uh, knows who you are uh, in the vintage aviation world. But give us a give us a quick little background, uh, both of you. Whoever wants to start, go for it, Clay. So, uh, you know, Nate and I were both born in upstate New York in the myself in the late 70s, Nate in the early 80s. Our father, Bill Hammond, was a, a pilot and mechanic for Cole Palin. Uh, Dad had left Kentucky in 1978 after answering an ad and trade a plane for a mechanic slash pilot at a museum in upstate New York. Uh, Dad likened it to going off and joining the circus. And that's essentially what it was because uh, dad started working on old airplanes that Cole had in his collection at Old Rhinebeck Aerodrome and uh, started, uh, you know, flying the aircraft in the air shows, flying, you know, rides in the new standard and uh, its predecessor, a Pitcairn Mail Wing, uh, doing air tours over the Hudson Valley. And Nate and I were literally born into that world of, of antique airplanes and flying air shows and, and just being general, you know, airport kids all through the years growing up there in the eighties. Um, we've, neither of us have ever known, you know, a month or a, a couple of weeks gone by without being in an airplane of some sort. And, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, a lot of old antique and vintage aircraft in the mix there as well. So, uh, uh, Nate and I both got our pilot's licenses when we were teenagers and, started flying for our dad, you know, crew chief in and, and flying, you know, uh, air show aircraft across the country, supporting, you know, uh, traveling air show performers as much as we were also involved as children, you know, with, with him at Old Rhinebeck. So it's kind of been a broad spectrum of, of participation in the air show world. As much as we enjoyed being airport kids at Old Rhinebeck growing up, you know, we got out onto the air show circuit with Steve and Suzanne Oliver and the Pepsi aerial and their retainers all through the 90s. And then Nate has obviously continued to uh, 
campaign that to have on Chipmunk that they operated all those years. He's flying that now. So I'll let him delve into that further. For myself, you know, we uh, we left New York in 1988 and moved to Kentucky. That's where Nate and I both, you know, kind of finished growing up as teenagers. Uh, I've been active in vintage aviation because of our, our dad's, you know, activities in it all these years. And uh, I moved back to New York as an adult about 10 years ago and picked up with the old Rhinebeck Aerodrome, kind of where we had left off, you know, being on site, helping with the air shows, flying in the air shows, flying biplane rides and the new standard, kind of continuing to carry that torch and uh, and being sort of boots on the ground there at old Rhinebeck and helping to put put on the shows and run the museum. So that's been a great pleasure of mine as a, you know, as an adjunct to my real job, which is as a sales rep for uh, originally Piper, and now I'm a sales rep for Dyer TBM. So, uh, you know, I get to fly brand new airplanes Monday through Friday, literally that have <laughs> just rolled off the, the assembly line. And on the weekends, I get to climb in original 1918, you know, World War One trainers and fighters. So it's a true Jenny's to Jets for me. And that's that's a real that's a real pleasure and privilege of mine. That's uh, that's perfect. Uh, so uh, so Nate, what would you uh, what would you add to that? Well, I can. <laughs> he kind of hit all the big parts there. Uh, old Rhinebeck was was our playground growing up. I mean, as as kids, you know, things were different back in the eighties, just a little bit. Um, and so, it, by ten years old, we were out there running around on the field during the air show, and just part of part of the air show life. And and Monday through Friday, we were goofing off at the airport there, helping fix stuff or breaking stuff one of the two and then saturday sunday playing in the air shows um i can remember being a, a kid and still need a nap in the middle of the day and and taking a nap up there in the in the rides booth uh while the show was going on just airplanes explosions going off and and sound asleep uh so that's that was the start of it and then it set the hook for old airplanes for myself um like clay said we moved to kentucky i went to college and out of college uh Got a job actually down in Atlanta, Georgia, with Ron Alexander um, of Alexander Airplane, big supporter of EAA. And uh, and aviation is funny because you go full circle. Uh, I cont- me and Ron got in touch with each other um, through a mutual friend, and he had started restoring airplanes for Old Rhinebeck Aerodrome. And and so the conversation was was really short. He said, "Do you know anything about Old Rhinebeck?" And I said, "Yeah, a little bit." And next thing I knew, I'm, I'm living down there in Georgia, restoring some of the airplanes for, for old Rhinebeck. So old airplanes have, have been a love and a passion throughout the years. We, uh, we've been able to help out old Rhinebeck there for, for a good bit and, and other customers' airplanes. And, uh, and like Clay said, there is a certain mystique of, of old Rhinebeck and, and the circus, if you will. And so I knew from a young age that, that air shows were were gonna be a big part of my life, and and started working with the with the Olivers and the Pepsi early entertainers, and and then when the time was right, they uh, they retired, and I bought the airplane and have continued to campaign it. So, the the joke is I'm I'm the most famous guy that nobody knows at Oshkosh, because if you <laughs> if you've been at Oshkosh, right, you you look up and you see EAA written in the sky and the big smiley faces. Um, and and that's that's been me up there for the last oh, twelve years now, I guess, and uh, and so everybody knows who I am, but nobody knows who I am. 
That's great. And, um, yeah, actually, it is. It is uh, nice to put a uh, at least a voice to the uh, to the skywriting. I guess uh, that's right. That's right. We we don't want to give it all away, right? Yeah, so. right, right. <laughs> you have a beautiful penmanship, airmanship. I don't know. What do you What do you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> so we talked quite a bit about, or we, we've mentioned old Rhinebeck quite a few times already in uh, in the 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 uh, just the early part of this episode here, and I think a lot of people in aviation are familiar with it, but uh, they're probably plenty of people that are listening that are not familiar with what old Brian Beck is. Could you describe it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll kind of go back to the beginning. Uh, 1958, gentleman just out of the, uh, you know, or, or, you know, several years out of World War II, uh, he had used his uh, uh, GI Bill to become an aircraft mechanic and a pilot. And uh, he was working for a Texaco uh, uh, filling and maintenance, you know, uh, uh, vehicle maintenance station there in Hudson Valley, Poughkeepsie area. His name was Cole Palin. Uh, Cole had loved aviation from an early age. He had absorbed all of the pulp, you know, flying aces and popular aviation magazine and stuff like that uh, as a kid growing up and, uh, and had kept that flame alive all through his years growing up to be an adult. And uh, he caught wind of a museum out on Long Island at the Roosevelt Field that was going to be closed because Roosevelt Field was going to be demolished for a shopping mall to be erected here in the late late 50s, early early 60s. And Roosevelt Field, of course, being the airport that Charles Lindbergh took off from. In exactly. The, in the spirit. Right. I remember the plaque in the parking lot of like a Circuit City or a Best Buy uh, out there that shows, you know, this is where Lindbergh took off and uh, why isn't it still an airport? But anyway, we digress. Yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> we'll get mad about airport stuff another time. Absolutely. Well, in addition to the shopping center, for anyone who's out there looking for Roosevelt Field, it's also the uh, uh, the home of Hofstra University. So part of the parking lot complex for Hofstra University is also part of the the old runway complex there at Roosevelt oh, wow. and Curtis field, which was right across the, you know, kind of the berm from Roosevelt. It was two airports literally co-located with each other. So, uh, uh, there was a museum on the airfield all through the, uh, the thirties into the forties into the fifties that housed several original world war one aircraft and they were being auctioned off and Cole not wanting to see these aircraft, you know, lost and also with his own interests in mind because he was an avid you know uh lover of world war one aviation put a bid in on six aircraft there at the museum uh his life savings essentially and lo and behold he won the bit he won the auction so he had six airplanes at that point and no place to put them he uh he went down to long island he was living in the poughkeepsie area he, he loaded all the aircraft up uh, over the course of, you know, a few weeks and trucked and carted them all northward uh, to the Hudson Valley area. Uh, much of it he, you know, stored there on his family farm and uh, spent the next couple years, several years for that matter, uh, restoring the airplanes as he could and getting them flying again. And uh, he was sort of the progenitor of this idea of vintage aviation and taking old airplanes and, and putting them back in the air. A lot of these old World War I jobs and, and, you know, older Golden Age stuff was languishing in the back of hangars and sitting outside tied out on 
little podunk airports and and nothing being done with them. And and Cole was an early adopter of the idea idea of, of you know obtaining these old airplanes and and keeping them in the air. Um, he uh, he went on to purchase a farm in the town of Red Hook uh, slash Rhinebeck, uh, two small little towns north of Poughkeepsie, and uh, and he started uh, carving out a runway from two open meadows that were located on this farm, and and that's the runway we know today at Old Rhinebeck. Uh, it's uh, it's on the east side of the Hudson River, just north of Poughkeepsie, Hyde Park area, just like I said, uh, right off of uh, Route Nine there in the in the beautiful Hudson Valley. He started he started flying the airplanes on the weekends off of his runway there in the late 50s, early 60s. And word started getting around that here's a gentleman who's flying these neat old airplanes. And the public took note and they would start congregating on the weekends to watch these old contraptions fly through the air. This is, you know, the advent of the jet age and everyone's used to seeing their first DC-8s and 707s, you know, flying out of LaGuardia and, and you know, Idlewild. But, uh, but here they were starting to kind of key in on the idea that these old airplanes are something cool to watch, too. So, uh, you know, Cole started passing the hat at these uh, weekend impromptu air shows that he would be given. You really couldn't call it an air show back then. It was really just flight displays. It was him and a few buddies who would get these old airplanes with you know, OX5 engines and, and rotary engines running and in into the air, which, you know, was a feat in and of itself back then. So by the late 60s, it had morphed into, you know, an air show where people would pay at a gate to come through and enjoy, you know, two hours of aerial fun that Cole would put on. Well, going back to Cole's childhood, he had always loved the pulp fiction that was found in publications like Flying Aces and whatnot, the the story, you know, the stories of Phineas Pinkham and stuff and things like that. And uh, he liked that old shtick that would be, you know, in those in those stories that he used to read. And so he and his his cast of of pilots and ground crew there at the Airdrome, but mostly Cole came up with this idea of let's put on an air show and, and let's kind of put it to a storyline. And so he created this Sunday, you know, World War One air show that we've continued to put on to this day where, you know, the likes of the evil Black Baron of Rhinebeck is pining for the, you know, the, the love and affection of the fair maiden Trudy True Love, you know, along with, you know, her, boyfriend Percy, Sir Percy Goodfellow, and uh, friend, uh, you know, Pierre de Loop de Loop. And it's this whole cast of zany characters that put on a show that has a has a storyline to it from start to finish. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, goofy, and it's, and it's uh, funny. But it's also, you know, at the same time, educational, because it's putting these airplanes in front of the public. And in these airplanes, their original natural environment rather than, you know, sitting in a, a grand hall in a museum collecting dust, you know, these, these airplanes are out and flying and being shown, you know, and, and that's always been kind of the, the, the biggest attraction about the places. Yeah. There's a museum where old airplanes go to, you know, to be on display, but the airplanes that can still fly 
they're pulled out every Saturday and Sunday morning and they're they're washed and they're gassed up and they're oiled and they're you know they're test run in the morning and then they're started up and flown for the air show you know from 2 to 4 p.m. and on either side of that we've got biplane rides that are offered you know morning and afternoon uh, in the you know new standard D25 which is an original barnstormer from the late 20s early 30s so it's really an immersive experience where you know a modern day you know public can come and see how it used to be and and that's always been the thrust of the place is to to educate with you know a fair but a fair bit of fun thrown in and i guess that's maybe the best way to describe it cole passed away in the in the early 90s and uh uh but before he had passed he had made sure to create an ongoing foundation that could continue to run the aerodrome in his absence and so he set it up to run in perpetuity and that's what we continue to do through a board of directors actually it's a board of trustees that uh, you know manages the collection and puts on the air show and uh, you know keeps it going to this day that's fantastic you know it always uh, it, it, it always fascinates me those early preservation efforts of vintage aircraft because you know back in the 50s aircraft that we consider to be vintage today had yet to be built and the and the aircraft that that they were preserving was you know maybe only 30 40 years old i mean i'm pretty sure i soloed an airplane that might have been older than that yeah. uh, it just kind of shows you the pace of progress in those early days and that's actually one of the neat aspects of this is everybody was ready to let those airplanes at roosevelt field just just disappear and rot away because the the thought was, what do you want to do with these airplanes that are thirty years old? They're so old, and <laughs> and and Cole Palin had that had that forethought and that and that foresight to see that it needed to be saved. Um, much like a, a lot of the other people in in our industry now are are actively going out there and saving aircraft. And if you think about it, you know we're we're rebuilding Cessna one fifties right now, Cessna one fifty twos. Because they're at that same age, built in 1956, uh, 1960, 63. Those those airplanes are coming up and and actually have to be restored now. You know, the folks that Cole attracted, you know, additional pilots and ground crew. A lot of them were enthusiasts themselves and went on to build their own, you know, replicas and reproduction aircraft. And some of those replica World War One fighters that were built in the 60s are still at the aerodrome. And even those replicas now are antiques. They're over <laughs> 70 years old or, you know, or certainly 60 years old. So, you know, we're dealing with second generation antiques at this point of aircraft that were replicas of airplanes built in the 19, you know, 17, 19, 18 timeframe. So it's, it's starting to kind of double back on itself in terms of the, of the, you know, the longevity of it all. Isn't that just incredible? It's a, it's an amazing way to think about it. When you say that, as you said, even the, even the replicas are antiques now. I mean, Dick King was one of Cole's very first, you know, enthusiasts who, who came on the field and, and enjoyed what was going on to the point that he actually built a house next to the airfield wow. and, uh, and lived up the hill from the place. And he built a sop with pup there in the mid to late sixties that flew in the air show all through the 70s into the early 80s. Then it went away for a few years, and the aerodrome reacquired the airplane about five years ago, and it 
went through a full restoration and continues to fly to this day. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, you guys talked about growing up there. Uh, so we've got sort of generations of airplanes, but there's generations of people that have been involved uh, all along, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so not only were me and Clay uh, born and raised there, but um, Dick King and Bill King, uh, who were brothers, uh, their children also still still participate in the aerodrome as well. So um, multiple levels um, and ground crew are the same way. And, and it, it keeps bringing people back over and over again because it, it's got this little magic. Um, and I don't know how to describe it until you actually walk the grounds and you, you smell the castor oil and the, and the cut grass and, and you hear the airplanes out there flying some old, you know, round engine droning off, hopping another ride and a rotary out there spitting and coughing. It's got a magic that just keeps bringing people back over and over again. Uh, it, it really does. You know, I was sitting here and made the mistake of doing some mental math and I realized, so I've, I've been to Ryan Beck personally just once and suddenly I, I blink, it was, it was 20 years ago, but uh, boy, I have vivid memories. I was so struck by, by just the, the flurry of activity. Um, of course, the, just the jaw dropping collection of airplanes um, and how, uh, you know, the, the structure to it, the, the fun of, uh, you know, booing the Black Baron and, and uh, rooting for Sir Percy or, or at least for his girlfriend and, uh, and how close everybody gets. And the action is very, it's, it's certainly a, a it's solid and safe operation, but you're very close to sort of everything that's going on. It's got, uh, it's got a very cozy sort of intimate feel to it as well. Very, very much so. Um, and, and that's just the luck of the, of the location. You're kind of in a little bit of a bowl right there. So you, you feel, like you said, very intimately involved uh, and up close and personal. And, and they're able to bring the ground show uh, with Sir Percy and, Colt and uh, uh, the evil Black Baron. They're able to bring them right up to the crowd. So, so it's a very different air show experience. Uh, from the crowd aspect, you know, it's most air shows, the, the flying is 500 foot away and that's it, right? And there's, there's, there's this hard disconnect between the public and the action and old Rhinebeck is able to, to blend that area very nicely and make you feel as though you are part of the show. Uh, it is, uh, it's an impactful experience. Absolutely. I'm ashamed it's been so long since I've been back, but my gosh. Uh, it's, it's definitely on the list to get out, out there uh, again and hopefully soon. Now, the other thing that has always blown my mind about Rhinebeck, uh, and you, you mentioned this earlier, but I think we need to emphasize it and really hit it is, you know, this isn't uh, an annual event. You know, you don't, uh, put the date on your calendar and say, okay, once a year, I'm going to go out to Ronald Rhinebeck and see the show. How many, how many shows and, and just sort of open events do you guys do every year? What is your season? It's interesting because you're right. So many municipal air shows are, are you know, an annual event. So uh, the town is always, and the locals are always looking forward to the next year's show. And and at the aerodrome, from very early on, Cole started doing air shows every single weekend from, you know, May, June time frame, right there, kind of in the middle of spring, up through the middle to end of October. So. Our current season here in 2023, we're running, I think, 20 or 21 air shows starting in the middle of uh, middle of June, uh, usually Father's Day weekend, and running through the middle of October. 
So that's week in and, and week out, we're putting these airplanes into the air as much as weather, you know, conditions allow. Uh, you know, we have obviously our fair share of rainouts and windouts, uh, you know, due to, uh, you know, the just the nature of, of trying to put on a show every single weekend. So, you know, for any given season, we're certainly, you know, expecting three to five shows probably to cancel out, but we're doing at least, you know, yeah, 15 shows through the course of the, the spring and summer into the fall uh, every single weekend. It's essentially like, um, you know, a fixed base operation air show. It's an air <laughs> show that's just every single weekend you can count on being at the aerodrome and seeing airplanes fly if, if you know, as long as the weather allows. Among the collection at, at Old Rhinebeck, um, how many aircraft are you are you flying in a given season, and how often do you rotate them? Yeah, so you know, I would say from the collection, we're looking at twelve to fifteen airplanes airworthy at any point, you know, in time. Uh, added on to that is a few privately owned aircraft that are, you know, added to the fleet as well. So all total, you know, nineteen twenty airplanes. Uh, over the course of a Saturday and Sunday are put into the air most of the time, uh, you know, mechanical issues and, and whatnot, notwithstanding the, the rotation is, you know, certainly every three to five years, we try to, you know, rotate something back into the show that maybe had been taken offline for a restoration or because it had a mechanical issue that precluded it from being, you know, immediately repaired, uh, you know, old engines, it takes time to find parts or build parts and things like that. So, uh, yeah, every, every three to five years, we're usually rolling out something new. You know, last year we had an Etric Taub added to the flight line. That was a, a donation, very generous donation from a local Hudson Valley uh, pilot and builder. Uh, last year, we also added to the flight line, to our World War One flight line, a Bristol F2B, which was purchased from a collection out on the West Coast. It had it's an airplane that is a replica. It was originally built as one of six airplanes to be used in the movie The High Road to China, and uh, that uh, that fleet of aircraft those air, those airplanes actually didn't make it into the film, but the airplanes were finished and, and airworthy nonetheless, and they were stored in the you know. California desert for the last 40 years. And, uh, we were able to purchase one unit last year and put it back in the air. And, uh, we've started integrating it into our world war one air show as a result. And it's a real hit. So every few years we try to bring something new into the mix, whether that's an acquisition or yeah, like I said, pulling something out of the museum that needs to be overhauled and or restored and, and brought back to the flight line. Now, Clay, uh, first of all, that's a remarkable achievement, uh, just with that many airplanes of of uh, that vintage. Uh, even you know, even as we were saying, some of the replicas that were built more recently, you're still dealing with a lot of the other things that come hand in hand with the, the love of old airplanes. Um, what's currently the oldest uh, oldest airplane in the collection? I would say maybe flyable and not flyable. So the oldest airplane, actually, on both counts is a Blario 11. 1909 was its original manufacture date. It's, uh, it is an aircraft that is utilized in the air shows, generally on Saturdays, as a part of our Pioneer 
uh, display that we put on. Uh, it's it's got a 35 horsepower uh, Anzani engine that is a three cylinder radial arrangement, and uh, it's in the process. It's actually in our shop getting a recover and an overhaul over the winter. It was taken offline not last season but the season before. So you know it's been you know kind of in the works for the last year or so bringing it back together. It's an original airframe. Uh, so this is an airplane that at this point is over a hundred years old, you know, and uh, uh, continues to hop down the runway. It's an old wing warper, you know, with big open exposed, you know, fuselage and not much surrounding you. So we don't fly it around the airfield. We don't put it into the pattern. We just hop it up and down the runway. You know, on a good day, you can get 10 or 15 feet underneath the airplane as it flies down the length of the airfield. So it's original. Cole had acquired it in the late 60s. It was uh, it was restored by him. There's there's a lot of new wood and there's you know new steel and certainly new fabric on the airplane. But at the same token, there's a lot of original wood still that is you know can be uh, continued to keep in the airframe. And there's a lot of original steel fittings in the uh, in the aircraft as well and the engine's original as well so it's not quite the uh the the axis had the head replaced twice and the and the the handle three times well you know that's yeah exactly that's the whole ship of theseus right paradox and to some degree after you've been flying for 100 years yeah a lot of you is probably going to be replaced but right. there are what's important is it's you know it's the original serial number it's the original data plate and uh and it continues to operate as it originally did. And that's that's kind of the thrust of it there is we continue to, as much as we can preserve the airplane and its originality, we do. But in the interest of continuing the mission and charter of the museum to put these airplanes in the, in the air for the public to enjoy, you know, we make those accommodations as necessary to keep the airplanes airworthy. Um, to a degree. I mean, there's airplanes in the collection that we've chosen not to fly any longer and, and maintain their originality. Chief among those being the Tommy Moore Scout that is on the, on static display up in the museum. It's it's an all original airframe. It's it's original wood, original steel, original engine uh, from the first war. Cole flew that airplane up into the 80s and then he parked it and it's been parked ever since. Um, Another one was the uh, the Newport 28 that had very original parts from a couple different Newport 28s. Uh, Cole had acquired that air, aircraft from, I think, Paul Mance out on the West Coast. And, uh, and that airplane now resides in the Air and Space Museum, along with a Sopwith Snipe that he donated to the Air and Space that was original. And then... A SPAD 13 that Cole had acquired in the original collection from Roosevelt Field, um, he uh, he placed that with the uh, Air Force Museum in Dayton uh, upon his passing. So a couple of very original airframes that he, you know, bequeathed to other major museums out there uh, to be put on display with them. So a lot of original <clears throat> airplanes still reside at the airdrome though like the tommy tommy morris like we said Kurt 1918 curtis jenny still flies it's it's an original airframe uh curtis j and h it's a hisso jenny so that makes it real special for us 
and uh, and a little more powerful and capable of flying in and out of our little airstrip. So uh, it, it's it's a long long list of airplanes in the collection that are original and and it's still even a long list of original you know aircraft that are kept on the flight line and airworthy. So. Well, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, you're you're saying, you know, 20 airplanes you put up in a weekend. I mean, a lot of air shows only have about 20, you, you know, you only see about 20 airplanes fly at some smaller air shows. And, you know, and here's one organization, you know, putting out almost all of them. That is, uh, that is an incredible feat. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, speaking of your, your very extensive collection and also speaking of Roosevelt Field, one thing that both of our organizations have in common is uh, we we both fly a uh, Spirit of St. Louis replica, right? We do, in fact, yes. So the Spirit of St. Louis and Charles Lindbergh were, you know, very, very big things to Cole Palin. He, he you know... Uh, loved the story of the Spirit of St. Louis and what Charles Lindbergh had done with his solo crossing. And, and he always wanted to have a flying replica of that Ryan NYP, that, that aircraft that Lindbergh had flown across the Atlantic. Um, his real, you know, movement towards attaining that goal started in 1979 when he purchased a, a, a new standard biplane, a uh, collection of new standard biplanes, to put back together for rides hopping, but in that collection was a Wright J5 engine, the original type of engine that was on the Spirit of St. Louis, a Wright Whirlwind. And around that engine, now Cole had the engine, he could build an airplane around it. You know, the airplane's the easy part when you're welding steel and gluing wood together, all you need is a plan to do it with. The engine's always the hard part, obtaining the right engine so that, you know, in, in Cole's mind, he had as close to a perfect replica as he could get. And he found that right whirlwind and he started building an airframe around it uh, to the point where by the 90s, uh, Colt passed away. He had an airframe put together, uh, at, at least in a fuselage started. And uh, the mechanic at the time who remains our chief restorer and kind of chief mechanic emeritus, his name is Ken Cassens, longtime pilot and mechanic at the airdrome since the early 90s. Um, Ken ended up taking on the project in Cole's passing and finished the fuselage, built the wings, built the, you know, the tail surfaces. And uh, it was an, a long-term ongoing project as funding and resources allowed to the point where just it was the winter of 2015 into 2016, I guess, when we made the first flight on that Spirit of St. Louis. It's a tight, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, obviously it's an interesting airplane because of the way it's configured and the way Lindbergh chose to uh, lay out the cockpit and the, and the rest of the aircraft so that without true forward vision in that airplane, it, you know, it's a bit of a tight fit into our little grass strip that we have, but we have found a, a safe and repeatable way to, uh, to operate it so that when the conditions allow and it has to be fairly benign weather for the, for us to be feel comfortable flying the airplane. We do put it up into the air on on any given Saturday during the summer. And looking ahead, you know, now four years. Uh, any any special plans coming up for the uh, for the centennial? 
<laughs> we are uh, we are certainly fast approaching that that 100 year mark, and and I can I can be fairly certain that we'll dovetail that aircraft and its story even more so into the weekend activities as well as you know uh, probably plan some sort of special event around it more than likely. Uh, that's really going to be something I'm sure we're. Yeah, we did a little bit here for the 90th anniversary, and I know we've got uh, we've got some things brewing for the 100th as well. Uh, that's going to be a big deal, and hard to believe that it's coming up, as Tom said, in only four years. Um, so, uh, so Clay, it's my understanding is you're uh, you know we know you're uh, part of the board of Old Rhinebeck and uh, have one of the coolest jobs I've ever imagined as as chief pilot up there. Um, Nate, how would you describe uh, your role and your involvement, sort of ongoing with uh, with the circus? I I have one of the best opportunities, and that's where I, I'm still active up there at Old Rhinebeck. Um, I, I've stepped back from flying some uh, just because we want to grow the pilot base and the volunteer base there, um, the, the proper base. Uh, so where I used to fly, now I now I come in as an advisor and and get to watch these new kids that are coming along. Uh, Learn how to fly a, a Hanrio or the Blario or the Curtis D, and uh, and then get them checked out into the into the fleet and the the other airplanes, the Great Lakes, and eventually into the the World One aircraft. So while I'm still very capable on the insurance, can fly up there. Uh, I I now have the benefit of just sitting back and watching and and soaking up all the all the love and the energy of of that place and making sure that that one it's incredibly safe and two that it's it's entertaining in its educational way. Um, you know, Cole Palin was smart in that he knew he had to be entertaining in, in what he did. Just, just flying the airplanes is, is, you know, part of it, but you have to be able to tell a story. And so Cole was the first to say that he's a big ham. Right. Um, and, and so that's why they have the, the melodrama on Sundays. And, and so making sure that, that that is, is operated correctly and, and they tell a good story and it entertains everybody. And at the end of the day, everybody goes home safe and, and has a good time. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. At the same time, um, I have a maintenance shop here at, at my home base in Kentucky. And so every once in a while, we'll, we'll pull one of the airplanes out of the collection. Uh, like Clay said, they, they rotate through. And so we'll bring one of them down here if, if it needs some, uh, some extended work, we'll bring it down to my shop and, uh, and help out and get the airplane squared up and, and sit back on the, on the road. That's excellent. What a, what a, uh, idyllic, uh, in, involvement both of you have with this, this terrific, uh, terrific place and this, this sort of, uh, dreamlike location. And I, I, I hate to be so sort of fluffy about it, but it is really something up there. It's magical. One of the things Nate mentioned is a good segue, uh, you know, talking about the young types flying the airplanes. We have benefited greatly over the years from organically, you know, growing our, our volunteer base and our pilot base for that matter with, with local, you know, young types who have an affinity for aviation or, or, you know, uh, STEM type, you know, uh, interests. They kind of gravitate there in the local Hudson Valley area to this place that that operates old cars, operates old airplanes, old motorcycles. And, you know, it's something for them to be active in. It's something for the parents to get them active in, which is, you know, uh, really fun to see the, the young types start out 
as volunteers and as ground staff there at the aerodrome, they might be parking cars or working the, the ticket booth or whatever as you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds. And a lot of those kids, we've seen them go on because of their continuing interest in aviation and because of the exposure they've had to the aerodrome and the folks that are there who enjoy teaching and, and passing on and, and, you know, continuing this tribal knowledge that we have about old airplanes, but in the, in the broader sense, just an interest in aviation and building that, you know, those, 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 that foundation for ongoing careers in aviation, we've, we've had folks go on to be uh, airline pilots and AMP and IA mechanics and museum curatorial staff and uh, air traffic controllers and you name it. You know, we've had a youth outreach even during Cole's time that was just natural. It was purely organic. It wasn't anything he was trying to do. It was, it's what he was naturally doing just by being where he was and doing what he was doing. And, uh, you know, we continue to do that to this day with attracting young people there in the valley, getting them interested, getting them helping the museum. I mean, obviously the museum benefits from having them and their volunteer time and their, you know, uh, you know, ground staff support. And eventually, you know, some of these guys become pilots that we put in the airplanes, just like Nate said, and, and gals. So uh, it's, uh, it's really fun to see that, you know, that, that natural progression over the years of, of people who have come through and, and used it as a, as a jumping off point. Yeah, you know, that that pioneer era of aviation, it, there's something about it that that really does capture the imagination of a lot of young people. Um myself, I can speak for myself very much included, I'm sure you you as well, Hal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um one other question as we start to wrap up the uh, the episode here, I just um one quick question for those who might be curious. I know when I was um when I was flying out east, um people mentioned going out to Old Rhinebeck. Obviously can't land at the runway because it's a private field, but um there was an airport nearby that people would fly into. Um where do you go if you want to make a day out of it and fly in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh I'll I'll preface this by saying we do sometimes allow folks to come into old Rhinebeck itself. It's, it's PPR, it's prior, you know, prior permission required. If they reach out to the aerodrome via the, the main phone line or the, the main email address, all available on the website and Facebook, stuff like that. If they reach out and just make the, the inquiry, um, you know, we'll get back to them and kind of talk about what kind of airplane they've got, what they'd like to bring in, kind of depends on the time of year also. But, you know, there is an opportunity potentially to land at the aerodrome based on the capabilities of the pilot and the airplane. That being said, the fallback and or the sure thing is to land at Kingston, Ulster County, which is 2-0 November uh, is the FAA identifier. Uh, that's right across the river from Old Rhinebeck. It's about a, it's literally three minutes west by air. So uh, it's uh, it's right there at the at the foot of the Kingston Rhinecliff Bridge. Uh, it's a 3,500 foot paved airstrip. They have fuel there. They have a little FBO, you know, slash pilot lounge, and uh, and Uber and local taxis and Lyft and all that usual stuff is able to provide ground transport over to the museum. So let's say someone has a Cirrus or a Cessna, Cher or a Cessna 172 or a Piper Cherokee or whatever, they can fly into Kingston, which is a municipal airport just like any other, 
and, uh, and park the airplane and come over to the museum for the day. If someone has a Super Cub or anything that's vintage or antique and they'd like to come into the aerodrome, they just have to reach out so we can talk to them and we can maybe make those arrangements as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, the Hudson Valley is a beautiful place, and uh, I hope uh, hope some of our listeners have a chance to to drop in sometime. Absolutely. And uh, for those that uh, those that are interested, uh, you mentioned the the website Clay. That's Old Rhinebeck, uh, O L D R H I N E E. Excuse me, I N E B E C K dot org. Uh, it's easier to Google it than for me to spell it again. Oldrhinebeck.org, and that'll have everything uh, there that you need to know to, uh, to to plan a trip and get out there and make the most of it. And uh, and I, I can't imagine uh, any place that deserves a more ringing endorsement. Uh, with that, uh, gentlemen, we are up against the, the clock for this one. So uh, thank you so much, uh, both uh, Clay and Nate, for joining us. We really appreciate your taking the time today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Hal, thanks so much. And I always love to talk about the aerodrome. It's a wonderful place. Oh, absolutely. It sure is. Uh, and uh, I, I imagine you're going you're gonna to see some uh, Green Dot listeners out there uh, you know, this, uh, through this summer. Uh, and who knows? Maybe Tom, Tom and I and, and our buddy Chris, maybe we'll, we'll be among them. That would be great. With that, uh, thank you both once again. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Uh, thanks so much to everyone who takes the time to uh, – Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. We always appreciate that. We appreciate the comments that we get uh, on each episode's landing page at inspire.ea.org. Uh, and if you've ever got any questions or suggestions or any other kind of comments, uh, you can always email those to feedback at eaa.org. And those find their way to us and uh, do a lot to, uh, to sort of influence and, uh, and help us uh, keep the show interesting and to keep it going uh, Period. The only reason that we're able to do this is because uh, because people out there listen and are uh, kind enough to tell us that they enjoy it. With that, thanks again to everyone involved, and we look forward to catching up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>